Hello, I'm Andrew Mail, and you're listening to the Mojo Record Club, a place where music lovers, musicians, crate diggers, writers, readers, and special guests get to share their love for classic albums, weird lost gems, and brand new revelations. You're listening to the Mojo Record Club. You're listening to the Mojo Record Club. You're listening to the Mojo Record Club. My guests today on this special episode are Mojo Editor John Mulvey and Mojo Associate Editors Jenny Bully and Ian Harrison. Hello, gang. Hello. Hello. Hi there. Now, to accompany Mojo's end of the year issue in which staff and freelancers voted for the best albums of 2022, we thought we'd have our own small brackets Christmas party in which we each brought in our favourite lesser-known albums of the year. So, let's give a roll of the tombola and pick out the first name from the sparkly bin... It's Jenny Bully. Jenny, what album have you brought in? I have bought Plosifs by Plosifs. And if that sounds nice, that is because Plosifs is a linguistic term for the sort of blocking of the throat when you go... I know. The purr sound when you put your lips together. Yeah. Anyway, it's good, isn't it? Um, This record uh, was never really meant to be. This is John Reese from the Hot Snakes guitarist, who some of us know best as Speedo from Rocket from the Crypt, who is the rock and roll, R&B, soul-loving punk rocker from San Diego, California. And his neighbour is Rob Crow, another kind of SoCal musician who's very prolific. And their kids go to the same school, so Rob and John got together for a school fundraising benefit, wrote a handful of songs and played them. And then came the pandemic, and with everything else on hold... Uh, John and Rob decided that they would turn some of these songs into a record. So they called up Adam Willard, who you might know better as Atom, who was the drummer in Rocket from the Crypt, and a bass player called Jordan Clark, who's uh, in a band called Mrs. Magician, even though he's a mister. And they got together and made this record uh, sort of virtually. I think they did a day in the studio tracking, but according to John Reese, Rob Crow is very good on a computer. So he sort of did the Pro Tools bit and they wrote some songs and then they got together and recorded them. And it's just a joy of a record. It's it's obviously made with no real intention and just lots of freedom. And, you know, if it sounds a bit lab made, then that isn't really the case because it's actually just full of high energy kind of propulsive guitars and the sort of melancholic high pitched vocals that people that know Rob Crow from Pinback and... um, Heavy Vegetable and all those kinds of bands. Thingy. <laughs> Recognize yeah. Thingy. thingy. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, if you like bands like, uh, you know, the combination of Grant Hart and Bob Mould in Husker Du or Mike Mills and Michael Stipe in R.E.M., that sort of melancholy at high speed is just yeah. exactly what this is. And again and again, it hits those emotional receptors that, you know, kind of make the heart swell. Brilliant. Okay, let's Great. have a little listen to um, a track from the album. This is Broken Eyes by Plosives, released on Swami Records. And uh, let's play a little bit now. Said 
about the the melancholy harmonies, mm. you know, sort of Huskadoo and R.E.M. That's totally there, isn't it? It's almost there's a kind of, it's, it's, I don't mean this in a bad way. It's quite nostalgic. There's a kind of melancholy yeah. nostalgia. It's almost like it's a record that is mourning the passing of that kind of record, you know. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's those of us of a certain age who get together and moan about how we sold our band T-shirts from the 90s. You know, it, it's reminiscent <laughs> of all that. Um, but John Rhys generally puts a very, very characteristic stamp on everything he does. There's a, you know, you can hear a John Rhys record a mile away. And like I say, he feeds in all these nice kind of vintage influences via punk rock and just bags of energy. And that's... I don't think there's a John Reese record I don't like. I think he's really good at, at bringing tunes that aren't traditionally kind of punk rock tunes yeah, and exactly. then playing them at punk rock velocity. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So there's a lot more kind of texture and nuance to what he does, even though he plays it with a demonstrable lack of nuance. Yeah. Mm. No, the, I mean, the, the melodies are not the melodies that you associate with that kind of playing, that kind yeah. of heavy playing. I mean, it, it was a pretty decent year for fans of Hot Snakes and Rocket from the Crypt, wasn't it? Because John Reese also released his first solo album. I think I think so, uh, Ride the Wild Night as well. The, the Swami John. Swami John. Yeah, Swami John, yeah. yeah. It's hard to tell what solo records and what aren't solo yeah. records with him some of the time. But I think it's the first one that's just kind of credited had his, as... Had that name on it. Yeah. I think that record was recorded before this mm. and sort of sat around in the can for a while and then they came out within about a month of each other. So if this is technically buried then that's because it was never really meant to exist i think that's um, why i got confused because when mm. you you know when you said you wanted to choose a you know a john reese record i thought well i know that record and then i listened to this and I thought, i've not heard this before yeah here's another one yeah. yeah and it's i think it's i think i prefer it i think i like that kind of more melancholy harmonic thing going yeah. on the addition of rob crow is it really works i think yeah. to the so is he the guy from? He's the guy. Excuse my he's ignorance. The he's the guy vegetable. from. Oh, he's heavy. He's heavy vegetable, right? He is heavy Who's vegetable. the guy from Pinback? That's the same. Oh, guy. it's the yeah. same guy, yeah. right? Okay. He's in Keep lots up, Granddad. It's all the same, Rob Crow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it is like a, a little cottage industry that they've got that's been kind of just right. uh, putting out records under various different guys. Well, he's never worked with them before. Has no, it? that's right. They oh, just right, both okay. happen to be from San Diego yeah, and, and their kids went to the, same, to the school. same school. Yeah, so these, got, these It's like the little village of San Diego. These are the, be- the, the benefits of being a middle-aged parent but still a rocker. Exactly. Yeah. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. No, None. absolutely not. I also it, think that I think that Swami John Reese record's fantastic. It's, it's great. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. really which good. Is like, I mean, I must. I, I love this record because I'm like Jenny. I like anything that he does, really. But I, I, my favourites always the ones where he sings. Yeah, because I like his kind of uh, chewy, yeah, shouty kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, voice basically. I like him in charge. There's a great bit on one of the tracks. I can't remember which one it is where you can hear him sort of butting in on backing vocals oh, uh, and and it's yeah, not yeah. like R.E.M. at all really. <laughs> no, and, and that, at that point because it's so plainly John Reese is plainly yeah. Speedo really I still yeah. call him Speedo yeah. but one thing you never get on John Reese records is harmonies usually yeah. so here you've got Rob Crow with Rob Crow and also the bassist Jordan sings yeah you get mass shouting you get those yes, kind yes, of blokey sing-alongs yeah, yeah, yeah. don't you know, yeah and lots of foot on the monitor yeah, shouting exactly, yeah. 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 my arrow aim. <laughs> I just want to make the point that it's always great when somebody who has been around for ages has still clearly got a massive appetite for doing it. You know, putting all these records out, 
the sound good. He's still got it. You know, it's you know miraculous thing because not everybody can manage it. It's. I mean, it is kind of the, you know that the world we live in, isn't it, where we're kind of you know navigating a world where there are you know people touring in their early 80s and things like that and kind of people you know sort of mm. you know, so you got you go and see Dylan he's he's 81 years old and it's kind of you're you're moving through a world that we haven't been before where kind of you know that that idea that you stop making music at a certain age and particularly you stop making music of a certain kind at a certain age yeah. is kind of yeah. no longer acknowledged well, there's, there's that thing that I was thinking about this the other day with the um time out of mind box set that's coming out yeah and the and the idea that exactly how old we thought Bob Dylan was yes. when Time Out of Mind came out in 98 or whatever it And we was. thought that was his farewell. That this, yeah. is, that, this is, that this is one of that generation contemplating mortality yeah. and finding a way out of the treadmill of rock and roll. And nope. you, yeah, and you <laughs> kind of, and, you like, know, and at the time when it came out, you thought this is like a kind of a full stop. This is a kind of valedictory album. And now you realise that it, no, this is, that was his starting point. Right, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I also think, just to follow on from Ian's point, I think uh, a lot of music journalism and a lot of the expectations of music journalism are predicated on a kind of hot-tip economy, especially around this time of year, whereby there's got to be an instant churn for late December and early January of a whole raft of new artists. Yes. Which which can be exciting and really interesting, but it can also be a bit premature and a bit kind of shallow and short term I think and it's always really interesting to find people lifers basically and to give them the respect that they deserve when they're still making good records absolutely and it kind of yeah it gets away from that as you see that sort of you know 30 under 30 kind of narrative that it doesn't just exist in music exists in publishing right totally yeah, yeah You know, and sort of, yeah. Not at Mojo. No, absolutely. You know, yay for the middle age. (laughs) Yeah. And the next name out of the sparkly tombola is... Ian. Um, What um, rare flower have you... um, Have I picked? ...rescued from the dust heap? I have been going through that dust heap with great um, enthusiasm. Now, I've brought in a record called Blade by an Estonian uh, singer and producer called Mart Arvi who was in his early 30s, I was a, I was hipped to Mart Arvey by my pal Richard Foster, who, is a, who lives in uh, the Netherlands, and he said, you've got to hear this, and I, you know, and I did, and I was, I was pretty blown away. Um, this new record, Blade, um, I mean, it's very, it's very different from you know, what we've just been talking about, you know, because it is artificial, you know, there's great artifice here. He is a... Um, you remember when... Um, oh, I think it was a story about uh, Malcolm Young... Um, talking, no, it was, it was Angus Young saying that Kurt Cobain was a poser. <laughs> it's like the worst thing you could possibly be. Well, Mart Harvey is a total poser, you know, <laughs> but in a, in a really good way. And the record is sort of a, I mean, I, I would call it sort of modern R and B. Yeah, but it also has these, um, you know, I mean, it, the, the man has ambition. You know, I mean, I think he is thinking in terms of you know, Bowie and Scott Walker kind of thing. You know, um, it has this wonderfully sort of vaporous. Um, we, I forgot to say, he does describe himself as the Twilight Samurai of modern pop. That's pretty good. Which is it? pretty good, isn't it? And um, I was looking at the other night, it's really su- I would say it's really suitable for the time of year for some reason. You know, it's, it's quite sort of cold music. And um, do you remember the word liminal that sort of exploded a couple of years ago? And everything's yes. being described as liminal. <laughs> yeah. You know, great word. I mean, this is properly liminal, I think. I mean, another descriptor of it was uh, somewhere nowhere music. And it has this sort of uh, weirdly sort of off-world sort of interior sheen 
this sparkle. And uh, no, I, I think it's great. I mean, it's if you wanted to compare it to other people, I suppose it's like you know, here's a solo pet shop boy, sort of thing. <laughs> but but you know, but very different. And I think I think the, the sort of Estonian thing I find interesting as well because it's uh, you know that that's a place as we know now very much on the. Uh, on the frontier of one place going into another. Yeah. Then uh, I know this guy comes to a place called Vara, and uh, I think he's 31. And after that, I'm afraid I don't know. But I, I imagine he is stalking the streets, you know, in, in a Mac, you know, uh, where, where, the, uh, where the city meets the, the waste ground. That sort know? of vaporous, kind of mysterious quality, kind of shifting, unknowable, is definitely kind of um, there in the track that you've um, brought into play, which is called Feline. Um, and I was, is it self-released on Bandcamp? Because I couldn't find a label that it's on. I think he puts his own stuff out. Yeah, so I think you get you basically get it through Mart Harvey's Bandcamp, don't you? And and this one is digital only as well, isn't it? I think, I think so. it might yeah. be. You know, I would also say that uh, Vega Never Sets, which came out a couple of years ago, is all is also really good. Yeah, and um, you know, in my brain, they are sort of like a you know companion pieces. Okay, well let's play you know, a, let's play a little bit. This is. Feline by Mart Harvey, self-released on Bandcamp, and uh, let's have a little listen. Feline by Mart Harvey. Lots of things that it reminds me of. Um, but one of the more recent sounds is, do you remember that um, guy, I don't even know if he's still recording, uh, Tom Crowell, he recorded as How to Dress Well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that kind of, you know, and very kind of, um, just kind of slightly kind of sleepy, druggy, kind of slow R&B sort of beats kind of quality to it. But as you say, this one's... Bit more European, bit more eighties, you know. Yes, I, th- I think it's a thing in it when when somebody is doing their own thing and nobody's telling them what they can't do. You just get these really, you know, realised personal visions, don't you? You know, he's, he is pleasing himself totally, which I, you know, I was uh, dig that. <laughs> he is pleasing himself. Yeah. Well, not, not in that way, Andrew. <laughs> yes. But um, yeah, what did you think of it? I was thinking about this record this morning and I was trying to articulate what it is that um, makes me not that keen on it, to be honest. And and I resolved in the end that it was something which has always been quite hard for me to articulate as a music journalist because I think when you don't like a record, you always try and find well-argued, dense, plausible arguments why precisely you don't like it. But actually sometimes you just don't really like the, the sound of the person's voice. You just don't get on with the voice. And you can't try and dress that up in any real brilliant object or quasi-objective kind of argument. You're just like, well, that voice isn't really for me. Uh, and, uh, and, it strugg- and you struggle to get past that. And I think that makes for extraordinarily poor music journalism when you're actually, when you're actually trying to articulate that point. I think it's, I mean, it's a really interesting point. And normally you were able to deal with that, with that by just saying, I'd rather not review that, thank you. Or I'd rather not write <laughs> about that. Yeah. And, not... and that's what I've done for the yeah. past 20 <laughs> years. Yeah. And, but I think I the other thing is, that. Yeah. it's... It is quite a contentious area because there are artists who 
whose voice or style of singing I do not like, who are recognised as greats. Yeah. And you, to criticise them, would be seen as a kind of, not just a mistake in terms of taste, but a kind of a, a mark against you as somebody who writes about music. So I'm not actually going to say the main person I'm thinking about because I know that it would go, what? You, how can you be a music journalist yeah. and not like that artist? That's ridiculous because they are quite obviously, you know, in the top five artists who ever existed, you idiot. <laughs> and, and, but I think the point I was sort of grasping towards is you can't, or I personally find it quite hard to work out what it is about yeah. a certain kind of voice that I don't like. I don't think there's a typical voice I don't like. Yeah. It, it's quite random. Sometimes it is about like the timbre or something, about kind of the register. I mean, mm. I um, I sold a Judy Sill album recently because after trying for many years to appreciate someone who is evidently a great songwriter, you know, an amazing kind, you know, amazing artist who I have never been able to appreciate, and it's a lot to do with the sound of her voice. Wow. Given how much I know you like that <laughs> Wise Blood record, I'm quite surprised by that as well. She, she sounds yeah. like Karen Carpenter, not Judy Sell. She does, doesn't Voices is a weird one. I, um, quite a few years ago, I sort of developed epilepsy, and I was having fits. It was, was very nice. But anyway, that's not the point of this. After it happened, I could no longer listen to Bobby Gentry. <gasps> wow. It just, it, something switched and it actually, I, I yeah, I just can't stand, I can't listen to it anymore. And it was only Bobby Gentry. Yes. You well, must it, have undone some synapses or something. I think I must have done. It makes you feel queasy. Yeah, or? it does. It makes you feel sort of yeah, like um, you know, uh, oppressed. Yeah, it feels like it's just too close. Because I know it's too close. When people who have kind of you know hearing issues and kind of lo certain loss of hearing or hearing problems, there are certain kinds of music that they can no longer listen to because the effect is almost kind of like a, a kind of nausea yeah. or vertigo. Yeah. You know that it has on. It, it on just it just sounds sort of you know too thick and dense and you know the things I probably liked about it now. Just, yeah. You know. There they go. The human brain. Well, anyway, John, I disagree with you strongly about uh, Mark Harvey. I'm, I'm, I'm not disagreeing now. with. I'm not disagreeing with you because I don't have a useful know, argument to actually contend. With, I know, think that's know? that's also a kind of really interesting point that um, sometimes you will say that you know you don't get on with a certain artist. And, you know, especially if you use social media, someone will go, what do you mean you don't like them? They're amazing. You say, no, I'm not saying I don't like them. I'm yeah. just saying that mm -hmm. there is no space for them in, you know, kind of the kind of music that I like. They don't connect in any way. It's kind of like a, you exactly. know, saying that you can't eat eggs or something, you know. It's like, but the egg is the greatest food stuff ever. <laughs> it's like, no, they make me feel bilious, yeah. you know. It is about human connections. It is yeah. about an artist that connects with you on an emotional level that you can't easily describe. And the opposite is true of an act you don't like. You know, it's like children or any people. You know, some people we get on with, some people we don't. Well, I think when Ian was talking about Mart Harvey, he was talking about him very much as a person who he imagines and who he likes the and he likes the idea of that person. So it's kind of exactly your exactly point, that, really, yeah. that you're being drawn to a kind of character Mm. And a persona that you think, I, yeah, I'm, I'm quite intrigued by this person. Yeah, yeah but I don't want him to open his mouth. If he just stood there silently, yeah, that'd, that'd be amazing. Cool. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, that's I, not very true. That is, it is what we know. What are you? What are you yeah. after in the in this deal? But what are you going to get out of it? Yeah, but at I the really same time, we are it. absolving professional responsibility here, aren't we? Basically, sorry, Jenny. I really liked it. It reminded me of a record that Andrew and I 
discovered on this podcast just a few months ago, the Passions album. Yes. That sort of misty, you know, kind of Euro sounding, mm. but but not obviously in his case he is from the mm. edge of Europe. But mm. Yeah, it's mysterious and romantic and I like that. Something is going to happen. Mm. But we're not sure what. No, exactly. Train, He's poised, train. isn't he? For a, yeah, exactly. For a big train to pass behind exactly. him. Exactly. Train, <laughs> trains across Europe. It is. It's very trains across Europe. Yeah. I like, I like so, so yeah. So if you like, um, you know, craft work or you know, train songs, you'd probably love this. <laughs> <laughs> Final spin of the tombola. John Mulvey. John. What overlooked release of 2022 are you championing and why do you like his voice? <laughs> I will uh, refer to my notes, which have absolutely nothing to do with J- Jake Searcy's fossil's voice. Um, Jake Searcy's fossil is a folklorist from Georgia and is probably the kind of person that wouldn't be found gazing at his own reflection in a puddle somewhere in, uh, in uh, the hinterlands of Europe. He's a folklorist, and I call him that because while he's a beautiful singer, <laughs> I have mentioned his voice in my notes. <laughs> there you go. go. <laughs> while I think, I think he's a beautiful singer and guitarist, he's primarily a song finder. He comes from a family of folklorists, and his art is rooted in locating arcane songs in the libraries and archives of American traditional music, and then kind of making them his own. In the past, that's often taken him to some pretty weird places. There's a great fishmonger's song on this 2019 album, Out of Sight, about mullets with diamonds in their mouths. But this is his fourth album, and it's called Good and Green Again. And it, while it has that same kind of enchanted atmosphere, um, he, th- this time it feels a little bit more melancholy and less dependent on what, referring to my notes again, <laughs> I've called a kind of front porch surrealism. So there are work songs from the cities rather than the fields, like the absolutely gorgeous Rolling Mills of Burning Down, which I think you're going to play for us I think right we, now. That's the yeah. track we're going to play, yeah. So should we stick that on now? Yeah, let's do This that. is Rolling Mills of Burning Down by Jake Searcy's Fossil, released on Paradise of Bachelors. When mills are burning down to the ground And they'll never build them back anymore that was rolling mills are burning down by jake xerces fossil that's absolutely lovely and kind of a it's got a weird kind of cyclical hypnotic quality to it um and I noticed that this is an album kind of the he's you know obviously he's carrying on doing his song digging but he's also you know started writing his own music as well writing his own material is this one of his one of the songs that he wrote no it's not actually it's um it's an old folk song he learned it I he learned it from a recording by a guy called George Landers, who is a North Carolina banjo player who recorded it in 1965. Whether Landers wrote it or whether it was passed down through yeah. uh, um, unknown provenance, I don't, I don't actually know. But I did, at one point a few months ago, I did actually try and find the Landers record and it sounds nothing like it. So, yeah. so it is one of those things where his adaptation of these songs are virtual rewrites. Yeah. And what he does is he really does have that cyclical, hypnotic way of doing things, which is this... 
it's a very laid back. I, I don't know whether it's part of a kind of Piedmont tradition, the way that he plays guitar and yeah. that, that very sort of ambling, laid back. I don't know. It's very, it's very beautiful, I think. It is beautiful. And I do think he's got a lovely voice. But something about that, the way the vocals scan on that song makes me wonder whether he was struggling to kind of fit them in, you know, whether he had these <laughs> yeah, existing yeah. vocals and he was trying to yeah. work out, like sight reading. Yeah. You know, he was trying to sing along with this guitar part, the, the it, banjo part. That he it makes like. it weird, and I like the mm. weirdness. It kind of, it's not... Yeah, it's kind of hiccuping, It's isn't it? not neat, yeah. No. It's kind of, it's so it, at the same time as having that sort of rhythmic, cyclical thing, there's a kind of a curiousness to mm. it you know that I really like I think I think it's good yeah he's part of um he's connected to a bunch of other people that I really like that people might have heard of a little bit more than him he used to play in uh, Joan Shelley's live band right and um he's also I think you know there, there's there's kind of blood ties with people like Steve Gunn and Nathan Salzberg obviously and also um oh James Elkington yeah who, who produced right. the record for yeah him actually as well so yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned Nathan Salzberg because that's one of the records that it reminded me of um Landworks, Landworks. yeah because he it's almost like because maybe you can explain what um Nathan Salzberg yeah came with so Landworks. so Nathan Salzberg is a guitarist but he's another folklorist as well it's it's all folklorists. How many folklorists can one <laughs> say? I only, listen, I only listen to folklorists now. Actually, I'm I'm done with me with singer songwriters. It's all folklorists. I have no idea it was a growth industry. Yeah. So um, one of the things that Nathan Salzberg does, besides play amazing guitar on Joan Shelley records and also make his own kind of more traditional singer songwriter records, is he does these landworks things whereby he takes seven old seventy eights and basically loops and samples them and then constructs looping, cyclical, lulling songs over the top of them by playing along with them with his guitar yeah. or occasionally with it. And quite often they're kind of klezmer records from the 1920s or things like that. Amazing, but but he still has that kind of hypnotic quality. And it, and, and it I'm going to use Ian's word and say that it, there's something liminal about it in the, in the way that it takes uh, traditional roots and then extrapolates something which isn't exactly modern but is an evolution of that that original tradition, I think. It's which like means, upcycling, isn't it? It is exactly. <laughs> it is a brilliant way of putting it. Yeah, this is the yeah yeah. I can't better that. That's fantastic. <laughs> no, that's that's perfect. No, I th I could definitely see the sort of parallel and the way in which you, their criticism might be that they're kind of constantly kind of living in a in a world of past music but you listen to those two records and there is a sense that what they're doing with the form is just as interesting as say for example what um fairport convention were doing with like child ballads they're taking these old things and they're reshaping them and reforming them for yeah. a new generation and and kind of finding other elements in there that you know that previous performers, as you were saying, his versions of these songs are very different from the original. Yeah, versions. but he's doing it, or they're doing it. They're all doing it in a much more subtle way than yes. than that normal modernization. You know yes. that awful kind of. You know, I've, I, there are some folk artists, or especially about ten or twenty years ago in the UK, who who would be consciously modernizing yes. by trying to make. Old child ballads sound like Radiohead, yes, and things like that. And I'm not going to mention. Let's the not name let's not I'm talk about of. them. But but uh, at the same time, it's it, and it's not like that kind of theatrical 
idea of uh, modern dress Shakespeare. No. You know what I mean? It's, yes. not, it's not, let's just put digital watches on them all and, yeah. be, and give them like 1980s mobile phones and yeah. it'll kind of make it edgy. It's kind of, no. No, you know, it's, it's much not. more like kind of, say, the modern approach to history where you're finding these fragments and you're attempting to tell a different version of the story. Right, exactly. Yeah. My two P's worth of this would yes. be, yes, it is the fact that it's not just a, a replaying you know, it's finding other am- angles and aspects to these things, and and they're kind of making it different as well. Yeah, which is good because I, I mean, I'm I'm not a massive um, folk head to be honest, but um, this is um, th- as you say, this is not just a, it's it's neither a you know it's not a role playing. It's not they're not sort of sort of yes. trying to sort of channel yeah, it in some authentic way. I mean, this trying to think about how authentic it is would be, you know, probably not much point in doing that, but um, it does kind of sound it, you know, whatever that is. Whatever yeah. the authenticity is, it, it's it's not um, it's not uh, it's not fake, man. It's looking for it somewhere else. Whatever that kind of kernel yeah. Yeah. of you know, it's yeah. about acknowledging that nobody's inventing the wheel here. Yeah. You know? So the the sort of quest for yeah. innovation all the time is a false one. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose also, you know, just to, the other thing is, that is um, I'm not a massive folk editor because I do I do like synthetic sounds. Yes. And um, you kind of are okay, like, but that thing you're talking about, he's looping the seventy eights that. Kind of is, you know, that's a, that's a more of a modern technique, so it doesn't just seem dusty. Of course, it is dusty. But, <laughs> but the dust is good. The dust is part of it. Good Embrace dust. the dust. Good dust. Heavy vegetable and good dust. Yeah. You're listening to the Mojo Record Club. And a quick rummage around in the tombola reveals that the only name left in there is me. My record that I've brought in is More Mother's Jazz Codes. Uh, More Mother is the alter ego of the American poet, musician, activist and sound artist uh, Kamei Ayewa. Uh, this is her 10th, I think, I might have um, counted it wrong, this is her 10th album since 2015. So when I wrote about this, yeah. I made it eight. Right. No, I For think solo it, records, but maybe... Okay, it, maybe collaborative yeah, stuff and stuff hard, that, only, it, yeah, that only came out on yeah. cassette or whatever. Um, since 2015, and arguably it's her most accessible. I mean, previous albums have been these kind of swirling, murky, dense exercises in a kind of, you know, I'm not going to say liminal, but I will I will use that other word that gets uh, th- uh, tossed around, hauntology. It's a kind of Afrofuturist hauntology, sort of blurring of sort of loops and hip-hop and drum and bass breaks and sampling free jazz and kind of and also kind of using music as a kind of history lesson as well i mean i suppose you'd describe this one given its title as a kind of reworking of the codes of of jazz and 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 black american music and blues and r&b and hip-hop and she's worked with loads of collaborators on this album people like mary Lattimore, wolf weston but it also references specifically references artists like duke ellington Woody Shaw, Dizzy Gillespie and Joe McPhee. The track I'd like to play is Barely Woke um, by More Mother with Wolf Weston, uh, released on Anti. And I think it's kind of nice to play this just because that's the word woke has been so kind of hijacked by the right wing and foul people as a kind of a, a meaningless word mm-hmm. that is kind of fixed. And this kind of song basically says, you know, you know in terms of understanding what this word means to you know people to to black people we haven't even begun 
to to wake up and to kind of you know be aware of what's going on. Um, so I'll just play a little bit of that. Hold this chaos poem in your lap and raise it up to be everything your pain doesn't allow you to be. thing i really like about um this record um our producer suze was just saying that it was it was like being at the you know the blue note club in uh, in hoxton square in 1995 you know sort of the center of drum and bass and the fact that it the, the genres and styles that it references aren't limited to jazz or aren't limited to hip-hop that there's a kind of a real sense of bringing in lots of different elements but all as a kind of learning process and education for the listener, but also her as well. But the she previous albums have kind of been very much sort of centered on the use of sort of, you know, free jazz and sort of distortion and everything. So this does feel like a very, it's odd to say commercial for, for More Mother, but it feels like it's her most accessible record. I don't know what other people think. Yeah, I think you are right, but it also it does it takes effort, doesn't it? Yeah, you know it's not it's not really commercial because you've no. got to kind of commit to it and yeah. fully listen, and then it's you know with this all this mad stuff starts coming at you. Yeah, so it's yeah it's exhilarating stuff, but it's not it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I found it uh, maybe I've always struggled with a lot of her solo records because I've always found them actually a little bit industrial. Quite, they're quite harsh, yeah, um, absolutely. And and the records prior to this one that I've really liked that she made were the Irreversible Entanglements ones, which were more performed jazz, I yeah. suppose, and less collagist and that kind of thing. Um, what it reminds me of, as much as anything else, is um, Erica Badu, in a weird oh, way, yeah. actually. Yeah, that that, that kind of absolutely. That amniotic soul. Yeah. yeah. It's just like underwater. Yeah. 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 Mm. But I... I really like this record. I, was, I mean, it's it's hard for me not to like a record that names uh, one of its tracks after one of my favourite jazz records, Nation Time. By Nation Joe, Time by Joe McPhee. Yeah, yeah. But, um, it feels like an intellectually curious record as yes. well because it's a record about semiotics that, yeah. is, that isn't yeah. worthy and stodgy. Yeah. She'd know what well. a plosive was. Yes, she would. She probably employs a few on the, on the record. <laughs> yes. right. There's a lovely phrase on her Bandcamp page, which is a coffee shop riot girl. Which yeah. is, I, I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> That's quite blue note, actually. Yes, it, it yeah. is. Yeah, I think there's a real sense of just constant involvement, constant evolution, constant engagement. You know that there's no feel that she's you know just kind of resting back on a sound. You're constantly. The Ian said, you know, would say maybe challenged at times by its kind of its its denseness and and sort of the. That's a good thing. Yeah, mm. it's good to be challenged in this way. Absolutely. Yeah. I think she's quite good at letting it roll a little bit as well. Sometimes yeah. sometimes on those kind of cutting edge jazz records, like and I think sometimes um some of the brain feeder stuff and mm. the Thundercat records, it always feels a bit attention deficit to yes. me. That the yeah. jump cuts and the collages are too frantic. Yeah, but the groove and is you, here you in you this. You want isn't the it? groove to yeah. be sustained. I was thinking when I was listening to it about how those Mars records in the early 70s were collaged together by yes. Teo Macero or whatever. But, but the, they always sustained that groove. Yeah. And I think she's quite good at doing that while at the same time chucking loads of stuff into the mix. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And just like kind of, 
you know, what we were saying just a little bit earlier about um, Jake Searcy's fossil sort of, you know, to be able to go into the past, to root around in it, but not replicate it, you know, not, you know, obviously we've had a year you know, as well where a lot of people have kind of been referencing spiritual jazz and kind of in those styles. And there's a danger that you just get records that sound like, simulacrums you know kind of that you're copying a particular style and trying to sort of get as close to that style as possible whereas here there's a real sense of like what can i do with these tools that i've been given these elements that i've been given i think it's about interrogating the past yeah there's um it's that idea of museumology isn't it yeah and and she's very uh she's very wise to that i think i'm very wary of that interrogating the past I like that. I think that's a nice little note to end on. Um, You've been listening to John Mulvey, Jenny Bully, Ian Harrison and myself, Andrew Mayo. That was the Mojo Record Club. And we hope to see you at the next one. Um, Look in the episode description for full details of all the tracks we played and how to sign up for the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Mojo Record Club. We all throw chairs during track B2.